Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, I'm starting a new sermon series entitled today, Good to Know. We're letting you submit things that you think would be good to know. So if you have a sermon topic you'd like for me to preach on or even a Bible passage, you can open Peavine City app and go right on there and submit one. We have dozens and dozens submitted already, and I'm kind of going to go with the most asked questions. And so if you've got something you want to hear, make make sure you, let me say this, I'm going with the most asked questions I can answer. So so that's the cue. So if you have something you want, love to hear a sermon on, uh, I'm going to do this just for a few short weeks. And so that gives you an opportunity to go on there and find out, uh, uh, maybe get your sermon topic uh, in the mix. Today... I'm going to be honest with you. If you'll look this way, I'm going to be as transparent as I can be. I knew when I asked this, this, these questions were going to be asked. And I could have told you this would start off as probably the most asked topic. So today I want you to know I'm going to preach on heaven. I'll tell you that in just a moment. But can I just be transparent as a preacher and let you know heaven is one of the hardest topics a preacher can preach on. You say, well, why is it so hard? We, we can sing about it better than we can preach about it. He did a great job singing about it. But when you preach about it, you say, why is it so hard? Because I ain't been there. And if anybody tells you, if, he, if you ever, don't, don't do it, but if you ever read a book of somebody who died and said they went there and, and they saw warehouses of blessings that you have not received and they came back to earth, please don't believe that, okay? Please don't. The Bible spends more time talking about getting to heaven than what it is going to be like when we get there. But we do know some things. And what I want to do today is do the best I can to share with you some of the things we know about heaven. So I want to preach on this subject today, the best is yet to come. So would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of the Revelation chapter 21. We'll stand in a moment and read. I kind of want to lead into the sermon before we get there. We start talking about heaven and the afterlife and how to get to heaven It's amazing how our views are all over the place. For example, Lifeway did this research uh, not too long ago, ago, and here's some of the things we discovered. That with Americans, when it comes to hell, when you make this statement, hell is an eternal place of judgment where God sends all people who do not personally trust in Jesus Christ, only about 40% of Americans would agree with that. But when you start talking to them about heaven and how to get there, here's what else we discover. When you ask this question, heaven is a place where all people will be ultimately be reunited with their loved ones, about 60% of Americans, that's declining, agree with that. But number two, when you ask them, do they agree or disagree with this statement, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. 54% of Americans only agree that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. If you dig a little deeper, here's what we discover. By the good deeds I do, I partly contribute to earning my place in heaven. Earning my place in heaven. 52% of Americans agree that you have to earn your way to heaven. And these two numbers disagree with each other. I mean, like, Jesus is the only way, but I've got to help him out to get there. Gets a little more... It gets a little worse. 
2016, LifeWay Research found that 64% of Americans say God accepts the worship of all religions. That no matter what religion you may be, that if you worship God sincerely and in your own way, God accepts that. Well, I'm going to tell you that's not true. Something else we find is disturbing. When asked if some non-Christian religions can lead to eternal life or heaven, 50% of, say that word with me, Christians agree. Hannah does my sermon notes for me for the screen and she brought me her phone this morning. She said, I think you meant to say Americans there. And I said, no, the research says Christians. 50% of people who are in a church this morning think that non-Christian religions can find eternal life, can find heaven, can escape hell and get to heaven. Well, is that anywhere in the Bible? And then we have people who think this way. If you've ever heard of the science fiction writer, Isaac Asimov, who passed away a couple of decades ago, here's what he said about heaven. He said this, I don't believe in the afterlife. So I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I quote, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. That's a pretty grim view of heaven. But the fact is much of the world thinks that way about heaven. And the truth is most of the world just simply ignores heaven. And, and the fact is even for Christians, it may fill our songs, but most of the Christian world is ignoring heaven. We don't think about heaven until a loved one passes on. We don't think about heaven until we get bad news uh, from the doctor. We are far more enamored with now than we are then. We are far more enamored with this life than we are the next life. But can I tell you that heaven is the hope of the Christian? Heaven is, uh, the doctrine of heaven is what enables us to make sense of this world. The doctrine of heaven is what enables us to endure hardship here because it's verses like Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The doctrine of heaven that helps us make sense of life after death. It's a doctrine of heaven that gives us purpose here. And so if it's our doctrine that really it's, the one, it's what we're holding on to, what do we know about heaven? What I want to do is read what is the seminal chapter on heaven in Revelation chapter 21. And I want us just to read the entire chapter together. It doesn't take long, but it tells us most of what we know about heaven. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? Let's look in Revelation 21, beginning in verse number one. John the Revelator says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. That's a good place to say amen. Verse number five. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away into the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And she had a great high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates. And names were written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. The gates of the east, uh, three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its walls, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like clear glass. And now... We're going to describe the city a little bit, and we're going to talk about some crystals here that I cannot pronounce. And I shouldn't have told you because you can't either, but uh, just follow along with me in verse 19. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth Chrysophrase, the 11th Jacinth, and the 12th Amethyst. The 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nation of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you. You may be seated. This chapter gives us most of what we know about heaven. So what I want to do today is the best of my ability is to tell you six things that you should know about heaven. So I'm going to dive right in. I'd encourage you to take notes. Let's talk about the best is yet to come. Number one, know this. The first heaven, the final heaven is not the first heaven. And this has got to be talked about before we go on because know this in the Bible. There are only two places to go when you die. There is no middle ground. There is no other place. There are only two places to go when you die. One is called hell. One is called heaven. Hell is immediate, immeasurable torment. Heaven is paradise with God. But one of the things we don't understand in the Bible is that there are actually, uh, and this phrasing is not exactly right, but there's actually two hells and two heavens. What do you mean? The first hell you go to is not the final hell, and the first heaven you go to is not the final heaven. What do you mean? Well, the Bible talks about in Luke chapter 16, for those who die without God, they go to a place of fire that is called hell, the grave. 
and they are alive and they are conscious and there is eternal torment in hell. But we know that if you were to die today without Christ, you will die and go to hell and you will never get out of hell. But that hell will be emptied into what Revelation's called the lake of fire. You don't get out of hell. You go from horrible to unimaginable agony. And so the hell that a person without Christ goes to now is emptied out into what we would call the lake of fire. And it's in that lake of fire that you spend all eternity. So here's what we know. The final hell is not the first one. The first hell is not the final one. There is another one when all of hell will just be dumped into what's called the lake of fire. And if it can possibly be, Revelation 20, the lake of fire is worse than the hell you go to when you die without Christ today. The same is true if you die with Christ. There are two heavens. Matter of fact, there are three heavens talked about in the Bible. The third heaven, it'd be what we call the atmosphere and outer space. The Bible will use that as a generic term for the heavens, not heaven uh, where you go when you die, but just the atmosphere. But then there are Two heavens talked about uh, for those who die in Christ. The first heaven, the Bible often refers to as paradise, though the word heaven is used interchangeably. And we see that multiple places in scripture. I'll give you a couple. The first is this, Luke 23, verse 43. This is when the uh, thief was hanging on the cross and the thief gave his heart and life to Jesus there hanging on the cross. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise or heaven. That when you die in Christ, your soul does not sleep. When you die in Christ, your soul goes to paradise or the first heaven with God immediately. We see it again in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, verse 55, when Stephen was being stoned for his witness, the Bible says, but Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, into heaven, And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. That was Stephen who when he was dying, God parted the skies and allowed Stephen only to see paradise or to see heaven that he was going to then. Now we don't know where today's current hell is. We don't know where today's current heaven is. God has got a big universe and look, I was reading an article this week about uh, the theory of 10 dimensional space. Like, like we, look, I don't know. It's somewhere and God's smarter than all of us and it's there. But that heaven one day will be emptied out into the final heaven. And we find the final heaven in Revelation chapter 21. And so your loved ones who have already gone on with the Lord, they are in heaven, but it's not the final heaven. They they are with God, but it's not the final resting place. They are in heaven, but it's not the one that Jesus has been preparing for some 2,000 years. The first thing you need to know is the final heaven is not the first heaven. The second thing you need to know is this, that when the new is here, the old will disappear. We find that in verses 1 through 7. When we get to what the Bible calls the new Jerusalem, heaven is all about out with the old and in with the new. Why does God have to bring everything new? The reason he does is all of creation has been touched and cursed by sin. And it's not heaven if it's been cursed by sin. Even the current heaven was touched by Lucifer's sin. And so in Revelation 21 verse 5, God says this, Behold, I make all things new. 
The creator who created all that we have today is going to start all over again. And there's all kind of supposition on how he's going to do that. Is it going to be brand new? We don't know. Is he going to burn it up and try it by fire and purify it in the fire? Maybe. That's what Peter seems to say, but we don't know. But here's what we know in the first seven verses, that number one, there will be a new heaven and a new earth in verse number one. A new heaven and a new earth. This old is going to be wiped clean. Here's what the Bible says. There is not even a sea in the new heaven. That the earth that we lived on today will be burned up and made new and it'll be all land, no more sea. A new heaven and a new earth. Second thing we find out is there will be a new Jerusalem. That is the capital city of heaven. Heaven will be on a new earth. Follow me. Heaven will be on a new earth, but it will have a brand new city as its capital. The Bible says prepared as meticulously as a bride prepares for her groom or her wedding day. And so what heaven is described as in Revelation 21, the new earth that has been purified, that will be heaven. And coming down out of the sky will be new Jerusalem descending. And that'll be its capital city. The Bible also says that there will be a new relationship, verse number three. That we no longer will walk by faith, but God will be with us. Our relationship will be complete. When we want to talk to God, we no longer have to bow our head in prayer by faith and hope God hears our prayers. We will see him face to face. And then number four, uh, verse four tells us there will be a new happiness. You know, one of the great things about heaven is what's not going to be there. Look this way, no tears in heaven, no death in heaven, no sorrow in heaven, no crying in heaven, no pain of any kind in heaven. Can I get an amen right there? You know what that means? That whatever causes you anxiety on earth will be gone. You know that thing that keeps you up at night? It's not going to keep you up at night anymore. You know that thing that robs you of your sleep? You know that thing in your life that when you wake up in the morning, you, 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 here's what you think. You think, I'm happy, but I feel like I shouldn't be happy. You, you ever had that thought? Like I went to bed and I was worried about something. Then your mind reminds you, like, oh yeah, that it is. And all the anxiety comes back. That never happens in heaven. Last night during that storm, uh, my wife and I, uh, uh, we heard a big crash and we looked outside and we had a giant tree about this big around that fell in our backyard, hit some of our house, but landed on one of our cars. You know what that causes me? Anxiety. But you know what? No trees are falling on my cars or house in heaven. Anything that causes you anxiety is gone. Anything that causes you stress is gone. Anything that causes you heartache is gone. Anything that causes you pain is gone. Anything that causes you hurt is gone. God is going to make all things new in your favor. It's out with the old and it's in with the new. Let me show you the third thing we know about heaven, and that's that some people are going to be missing. It doesn't matter what the world says, all roads do not lead to heaven. All religions do not lead to heaven. The Bible specifically lists categories of people 
who will not be in heaven. This is by no means an exhaustive list of people, but they're meant to represent those who turned their back on God, those who did their own thing, those who turned their back on the truth. And so the Bible runs you through the list. You see it there in, in, in verse number eight, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable. That means those polluted with crime and sin, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers. That's an interesting word in the Greek. It doesn't necessarily say, I don't know any sorcerers. I don't either. But the root, root word of, the, of that word is the word pharmacia. It's where we get our word pharmacy and pharmaceutical from. It possibly, quite possibly just means drug addicts. No idolaters, those who worship God the wrong way. And liars, people who taught others to worship God the wrong way. It's not an exhaustive list, but the point, there are going to be people missing. And there are going to be people who chose their way instead of God's way. So when you look over that list, you have this tendency to think, whew, awesome. I've not murdered anyone, not cheating on my wife, not my husband. Not, I'm Like, I'm good, preacher. But the verse starts off with two categories that you have to pay attention to. Look what it says in verse number eight there on the screen. But the cowardly, the unbelieving. The word cowardly is probably not the best translation for that. Other translations translate the Greek word better. The best translation I've seen is the word timid. It can literally be translated those that are timid and without faith. Timid and without faith. I mean, you, you, you think, well, I'm not a murderer, I'm good. I'm not sexually immoral, I'm good. I'm not an idolater, I'm good. I'm not a drug addict, I'm good. But that's not good enough. You don't get into heaven based on what you don't do. And there's some of you here today, the fact is you may be a church member, you may not. But the fact is you are just too timid to get saved. You, you don't have the faith to get saved. And listen to me, you will miss heaven. Say, preach, I don't want to walk down the aisle in front of all those people. I get it. Look, I know it's a big crowd and we try to provide you all kinds of ways to be saved other than walking down the aisle. But listen to me carefully. The people who are just too timid to believe and trust in Jesus will miss heaven and go to the same hell where the murderers, and the idolaters, and the like are. And the point I think the Bible's trying to make in verse number eight that it's safe to walk the street of heaven. No one is looking to harm you, cheat you, or wrong you in any way. That'll feel great. But some people are going to be missing in heaven. So the fourth thing we know about heaven, and that's this. Heaven is a place on earth. We see it beginning in verse number nine. The Bible says that heaven will actually be laid out on the new earth, that it will be a new earth with one capital city, New Jerusalem. A new earth is heaven, and a new Jerusalem will be its capital city. My wife and I have never been to Israel we get asked to go quite often, and every time we think about going, they do something crazy in the Middle East. So we've just said, as for right now, I'm just going to wait when the new Jerusalem, and I'll see it. Like, I'm good with that one for right now. But when we read through this chapter, we do get some specifics. I I'll give them to you, though I, uh, uh, words fail me to explain them well. Uh, number one, we know it has a glow like jasper, crystal clear city. It has huge walls surrounding the city with 12 gates for the children of Israel. There are 12 foundation stones, one for each apostle. It is 1,400 miles cubed. 
Now, let, let me put that in perspective. A lot of people wonder, is heaven big enough? Well, keep in mind, this is just the capital city of heaven. The whole earth with no sea, no ocean, that is going to be heaven. It's plenty big enough. But, but here's what we know. The capital city of, Jerusalem, uh, of heaven is 1,400 miles cubed. So I got out Google Maps this week. And I figured out how far, 1,400 miles cubed, now it's pretty close, that from here, if you started in Ringgold at my house and you walked 1,400 miles west, you would wind up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think Google Maps said it was 1,396 miles from here to there. If you walked north 1,400 miles, you would basically wind up in Spokane, Washington. So if you drew a square from Ringgold to Albuquerque, from Albuquerque to uh, Spokane, and then you just closed out the square, you'd go through much of Canada and you'd come back down. That is the, the length and the width of heaven. And by the way, Google Maps told me that if I started walking in Ringgold and I walked 24 hours a day, it would take me, if I maintained a consistent speed, it would take me 19 consecutive days with no break to walk to Albuquerque. I'm going to take Google's word for it. It's a huge, huge city. That doesn't even describe all the city. The Bible says it is 1,400 miles high. That one was a little bit harder for me to discover. But I got on trying to put them in, 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 in terms we can understand. I got on, I found out that 1,400 miles high is 200 miles higher than weather satellites that circle the earth. So imagine this, a weather satellite goes at about 1,200 miles high and New Jerusalem is going to be 1,400 miles high, well into outer space. And so that is the capital city. And here's what I'm saying to you. It's going to be big. That's not counting all the earth. Here's what else we discover about it. It has walls that are 216 feet thick. Those 12 gates are gates of pearl. And the Bible says it is one giant pearl. Wouldn't want to run into that oyster, but it is one big gate. And the Bible says it has a street of gold. There are no streets in heaven. There's only a street in heaven and it represents Jesus being the only way I'm telling that to say some people Isaac Asimov thought he would be bored in heaven I can't tell you everything we're going to do in heaven but I can tell you this if God made this world in six days and you haven't explored a fraction a measurable fraction of this world he's been working on this heaven for 2,000 years the Bible tells us there's going to be plenty to do in heaven. It reminds me of the story of two old men. They were in their 90s. They'd been best friends all their lives. You may have heard this. And uh, one of them got sick and was on his deathbed. So his friend came to visit him. And the, the friend who was not sick, he said, hey, man, will you do me a favor? He said, you know, we love baseball. And I'm worried there's not going to be baseball in heaven. So when you get to heaven, can you go to God and find out if there's baseball? And then will you just beg God to let you come back and tell me? The guy said, I'll do my best. And the next day he died. So about three days later, uh, that, the guy that lived is at his, sleeping in his bed at night and coming to him in the middle of the night was the figure of his friend. He said, hey man, God let me slip off from heaven and I, I've got good news and bad news. He said, what is it? He said, the good news is there is baseball in heaven. He said, that is awesome. What's the bad news? He said, you're pitching Wednesday.
I don't know if there's baseball in heaven, but there is plenty to do in heaven. Let me tell you the fifth thing we know about heaven, and that is this. Heaven is all about the Savior and the saints. Here's what we know beginning in verse 22. that We just sung about it so well. There's no need for a temple or a church to worship in. Why? Because the Lamb is with everyone and will be worshipped everywhere. There's no electric company in heaven in verse 23. Why? Because Jesus is the light of heaven. Then beginning in verse 24 through verse 26, we're told the nations will be there and we will enjoy the fellowship of Jesus. We'll enjoy the fellowship of God and then we'll enjoy the fellowship of all the saints who've gone on before and who came with us. It is heaven is not so much a place. Heaven is more about a person. It's about Jesus and all the saints. And when you talk about this, this question was asked several times and it's, I'm always asked this question, it's, will I know my family in heaven? And uh, it's, we, we think that because of a verse in Matthew chapter 22. Let me show you these verses. There's a few verses. It says, that same day Jesus was approached by some Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were a group of leaders who did not believe in the resurrection. And the religious leaders who say there's no resurrection from the dead, they, they pose this question. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies without children... His brother should marry the widow and have a child who would carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. couple things. If I'm number seven, I see a pattern developing, don't you? I'm just disobeying God at that point. All right, no, number seven. Last of all, the woman died. Of course she did. And uh, so tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. And so we see that phrase about we're not married or given in marriage and well, you love your now, let me tell you some things about that. Number one, will you know your family? Yes, you will. Number two, will you know your friends? Yes, you will. Will you love your spouse? If you love them here, I'm assuming you will there. I can't, you know. Well, here's the question. Will you love them less? No. You will love them greater than you've ever loved them before. And here's the best way I can illustrate it, and it's not great. How many of you have had more than two children? Let me see your hand. You had more than two children? All right, teenagers, bear with me. We're going to talk about y'all for a second. But we had our first child, Savannah. She was the first child, first grandchild. I was the first child, first grandchild. We had Savannah, and, man, we loved that kid. And we, we played with her, had fun with her. And, and she was about three and a half years old, four. And, and then when Sherry, we'd be, we were expecting Michaela. And I'll be honest, if you've ever had this happen, you've, you've done it before. And we begin to worry as the birth of Michaela got closer and closer. Well, will we love Michaela as much as we love Savannah? Like, you know, for, you know like this child is, I mean, we, it's going to be hard. Like, like Michaela, second chip, I mean, we love the first one so much. Anybody ever, you won't admit that, but you felt that way. You're like, I don't know if I can love this second kid as much as I love the first one. And because it's so special and you just love that first child. And then you're, you go back there and you're right, you have that baby, and then the second one comes out. And the minute you see that baby, are you worried about loving that child? No, let me tell you what happens. 
The minute you have that baby, here's what happens. Your heart opens up with more love than you knew you had, and your heart opens up and embraces just as much love for the second child. And guess what happens? You don't love the first one any less. It's not like, here's Savannah. We're going to have another one. And I only got about that much love, and so I'm going to whittle down about that much from you. Because we got, I mean, we're going to have to like the second one too. So if she gives us trouble, we're coming back to you with more love, all right? We're coming back to you, but until then. No, when when Michaela was born, all that worry about when we love the child, I mean, the minute she was born, our hearts opened up and we could love the second one and it didn't diminish the love for the first one. And can I tell you, that is what heaven is going to be like. You say, well, wait, I don't want to love everybody like my wife. I don't want to love everybody like my husband. I don't want to love everybody like my kids. But we don't understand because the love of God in our lives will be so complete, our hearts open up. We can love like we've never loved before. Heaven is all about the relationships, the saints and the Savior. And you will see your loved ones again if they died in Christ. Let me show you the sixth thing we need to know about heaven, and that's this. There are no exceptions. None. We get down to the most important question in the last verse in the chapter. The most important question about heaven is not what's heaven like, not, not will we know our loved ones, not what will we do in heaven. The most important question about heaven is, are you going would you close your bibles and just look at me for a minute i want to end and i'm going to be done in two minutes verse number 27 tells us this that god will make no exceptions who gets into heaven look at what he says nothing evil nor anyone who practices idolatry or dishonesty what do you mean that anyone who's still in their sin Anyone who worshiped God another way, anyone who said they were going to heaven but never trusted Jesus, they're not getting in. Well, who gets in? The Bible is very plain. Let me. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. There are no exceptions. No one earns heaven. No one works their way there. No one is good enough to get to heaven. No one creates their own path. No one follows their own way. No one can treat people good enough. No one can be sincere enough. There are no exceptions. The creator of heaven gets to set the rules. And he did. And here's what he said. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's heaven. He said it again a different way in John 14. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one, no exceptions, not one exception ever comes to the Father except through That's the most important thing about heaven. 
Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus so you can be saved and go to heaven one day? And too many people even in a room this size are dependent on their church membership, their good works, trying to be good to their fellow man, trying to live a good life, trying to do your best. And all that will end your life lost without Christ. And you'll spend a place in eternity called hell, far, far from God. Because there are no exceptions to heaven. And the question is, are you going? So would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I don't do this often, but I want to do it this morning. While well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's looking around, I just want you to give a personal testimony today. If you could say this, and I want, you, I want you to think about it. If you say, preacher, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I know that I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, I know I've trusted Jesus, I don't have any doubt about it, I don't waver about it, I don't worry about it, I know my sins are forgiven, Christ is in my life and heaven is my home, no doubts about it. If you can be that sure of it, I just want you to testify and raise your hand. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just raise your hand. I know for sure, know for sure, know for sure. Thank you and put it down. Now I wonder about those who couldn't raise their hand, hands all across the building could not be raised. And I wonder this morning if it could be that God is really working in your heart and life. It could be that you even came in this building worried about your spiritual condition, worried about eternity, worrying about death, worrying about heaven, worrying about hell. I want you to know today that you can be saved and it's as simple as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner and can't save yourself. Revelation 21 tells us that. B, believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again the third day, the cross and the resurrection. And C, confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. Call out to him. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you're here this morning, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, you'd like to be saved right where you stand. Pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. And I know I can't save myself. But I know that Christ died on the cross for me. And rose again on the third day. So because of that just now, I invite Jesus into my life to forgive me of my sin and to secure my home in heaven. While our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.